Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanika. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be a Better Investor podcast. My name is Rijk van Niekerk and in this podcast series I speak to finance and investment professionals about their investment journeys and why they chose a career in managing other people's money. We also discuss how they manage their own money and the idea is to find a few nuggets of wisdom to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Madalette Sessions. She is a portfolio manager at Denker Capital. However, she started her career as a research assistant at Investec Securities and uh, she worked closely with the investment strategist Brian Cantor, of course, uh, almost a legend in the South African financial services industry. In 2008, she joined Element Investment Managers as an analyst and uh, then she moved to Netgroup Investments in 2010 and then on to Denka in 2016. Madalette, thank you so much for your time today. First, give us a bit of background. Where did you grow up and when were you first exposed to the investment world? Where did I grow up? So I'm going to, a longish story. So my older sister was born um, in Pretoria, I was born in Durban. My younger sister was born in King Williamstown. There's two years between all of us. Um, both my sisters went to eight different schools and I went to seven different schools. So I grew up all over South Africa with the distinction of having never lived in the free state. Was your father perhaps a Dermany? <laughs> uh, my father is not a Germany, nor was he ever a Germany. My, gov- my dad was a bureaucrat. He worked for the then development corporations, sort of tasked with developing the homelands or the then homelands. Um, and he just always had an itch. And so we always moved around. And um, so we grew up all over in rural-ish South Africa, I think, the largest, you know, sort of a typical town we lived in would be Paul, King Williamstown, um, Nelspruit, Rustenburg. Spent very little time in the major urban areas of South Africa. Um, in my matric year, we moved schools. So we were we moved from Randfontein to Petersburg before it became Polokwane. Um, and in my matric year, I started a new school and one of the teachers, a science teacher, asked who of us were interested in entering science as a sort of field going forward. And actually, I put my hand up and she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I wanted to study mathematics. And she looked at me and she said, you know, you'll be a teacher if you do that. Um, and so if you don't want to be a teacher, do an applied science. And so I enrolled in engineering. So I am a failed engineer. I um, I, I um, left university at the end of my third year after having written one exam. And then I got A for absent for every single other exam that season in my second semester. And to escape the wrath of my parents, I fled to the UK. And there I got interested in economics rather than in investments per se, but in economics. Did you, um, in, in did your household, did your parents, did they discuss investments with you at all? Or when, when were you actually exposed to the investment world? 
So I was exposed to the investment world for the first time, I think I was about 22 or 23, when I was working as a care worker for um, an individual who had had a bad accident and was a um, quadriplegic. Um, and his brother worked in investments in the city of London. And his mother was a broker at the then Chase, was it Casanova, one of those investment banks in London. That's when I came across investments for the first time. But I'd been interested in the economics for a bit longer. And so I actually came back to UCT to study politics, philosophy and economics with more or less the intention of going into policy. You live in the UK, economic news is front and center every day. You come back to South Africa, economic news really doesn't make it into the headlines. It's more about politics than it is about economics. But the difference between the UK and South Africa when I was a sort of early 20s really inspired me to sort of figure out why it was that some countries were poor and some countries were rich. So I came to study economics. My parents refused to pay for a second degree, so I was highly dependent on the goodness and kindness of strangers and the bursaries that they were willing to offer. Um, and a lot of the bursaries depend on really good grades. And so I knew I had a sort of knack for mathematics. And I really picked up finance type subjects as a way of maintaining reasonably good grades so I could get bursaries and scholarships rather than pay for all the um, studying myself. Um, and in my third year undergrad, no, it was my honours year, I met Professor Cantor. He was a lecturer at university. Uh, and he he's fantastic for linking the economy to financial markets. Um, and that's really, really where I got interested in markets and investments. It was through both the six months as a student under Professor Cantor. Um, and then I got very, very lucky. I sent him an email saying um, there were only two students. This is the true story. There were only two students who wanted to do financial economics UCT had no appetite for offering the course for only two students. They had said I could find coursework elsewhere at another university. And if they deemed the work to be a sufficiently high quality, they would credit me for those um, courses. And so I said to the professor, I wrote him an email, said, I'd really enjoyed your course. I did particularly well in your course. Um, the university will allow me to do other financial economics courses from another university. It will be quite expensive for me. So before I go down this sort of walk down this path, I would really like to know if I actually want to spend some time in financial markets and in, in the economy and investments. Could I come job shadow you for a bit? And he responded with a yes, come and spend some time with us. And on the second day as a job shadow intern, his actual assistant resigned. And um, he very kindly fought my corner and managed to persuade his boss that it was worth having a part-time student on as his assistant. Um, and the rest is history. So sometimes you get lucky. So you assisted Brian Cantor. Was that the, the door you walked through into the investment world? Um, so when, when did the investment bug bite? So, so um, I work for the professor um, at Investec Securities, which is the stockbroking arm of Investec, and it was the institutional desk rather than the private client desk, and it was a very successful business. It had a very high market share. Oh, I forget what, so don't quote me on this. This is a number of years ago now. You can't see me, but I'm quite great. It's been a number of years since I entered the industry. 
so what what the institutional desk did was provide research and insights for the asset management or investment industry. So we were actually on the other side of it. We weren't making investment decisions. We were providing research and historical perspectives and analysis for the benefit of the investor, the institutional investor. And the professor is a, one an exceptionally generous mentor, so provided me with access with his entire network and all the knowledge he's gained. And he loves talking about investments in the economy. So every lunch, every tea, you just talk about everything that he knows and what he lived through. Um, and he he lived through a lot. I don't want to insult the professor, but the professor is now 80. And so he really has been around. He's seen a lot. And so it was a really wonderful, wonderful time um, to have access to his network, to him, to all the knowledge and experience that he was very happy to share and engage in um, with a very young and green student. Um, and yeah, I learned a lot from the professor. When did you make your very first investment, your a personal investment where you paid for or invested your own money? So... My very first personal investment was, believe it or not, into the Satrix 40 fund. Um, you know, you come through the market, oh, well, through the university, and you get taught about efficient markets. Um, and so when you start out, you know nothing, and you might as well buy an index fund. It's a very good way to start your portfolio, I thought then, still think so today. If you know very little, free ride on the knowledge of others and buy yourself a passive instrument. And that was my first investment. It did change my investment. My personal investments actually has evolved quite a bit. So when the professor retired from the institutional securities business, he joined the private client business. I left shortly thereafter and I joined Element. Um, that was when I joined. Um, so I joined as a property money market fixed interest analyst and fairly early on decided that was too low risk for somebody my age. So I never really built up a bond portfolio because that was where my skill set was. Um, so over those years, I did very little other than put money into a um, sort of a pension fund, really. So very little investment um, in my first two years. And then I joined Netgroup Investments, but we were a research team dedicated to the private client business. And then I built up a little bit of a sort of portfolio of shares. Um, and the next evolution of my journey was to say, you know, it really is, even as a professional investor, I think preferable to invest in unit trusts. And so when I joined Denker, um, my mandate from the business was to start multi-asset product. And what I did, and I thought was very clever, was to start a product that I wanted to invest in myself. Um, and so our balance fund is a product for anybody, including the professional investor, saving for retirement. Um, and that is what I wanted my product to be, and that is what I launched and that is where my pension is today. And my pension is by far the largest asset next to my house in my portfolio. 
many professional investors would be actuaries, CAs, CFAs, or at least have a degree in investment management. So you did not go that route. You basically learned from some of the top people in the industry, and that was not a formal training, it's more uh, on-the-job training. I mean, so I have a master's degree in applied economics. Well, I think that's fairly formal. But uh, in the investment world, applied economics is yes. an interesting field in itself. It's not that's a- right. Very few portfolio managers come through as economists. Most portfolio managers are either, as you say, actuaries or mathematicians. Certainly in the fixed interest markets, you find uh, mathematicians or financial statisticians or more sort of mathematical skill sets. And then in the in the um, equity portfolios, you find more accountants and MBA type students rather than economists. The economists tend to stick to economics and economic analysis for investment portfolio managers, um, but don't tend to enter the field themselves as portfolio managers. Yeah, I think that's also I agree a, with you. It's a diversification strategy from asset managers to get experts from various uh, industries um, to, to manage money because they think differently uh, about potential outcomes of investment strategies. But... Of course, you also have, as you've said, most of your money is in your uh, pension contributions. Of course, there are many, many tax benefits for doing that. And I think every single one should contribute as much as they can to pension funds and retirement annuities. Um, But do you perhaps have a, a discretionary type of portfolio where you... Uh, invest uh, discretionary money, after-tax money, to to stay active in the market. I do. I have a. It, um, I do. Um, again, the a large chunk of even my active discretionary portfolio will be in unit trust investments rather than stock specifics. Um, estate duties and tax regimes and all these things and the administration involves. It's a lot more than I'm. Oh, desired to be involved in. So admin is a absolute negative passion of mine. I can't bear it. I hate admin. And so the less admin I have to do, the better. So my personal investment philosophy, I want to sort of break it down into two, is that one, it is worth finding people with an investment philosophy and process that you believe in, that you agree with, and give them your capital. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in the efficiency of markets, and that if you want to outperform the markets, you need better insights than the average individual and participating in the market. So I, I think it's worth finding those exceptional individuals and people and processes and backing them with your capital rather than trying to do it yourself. I will tell you that my personal discretionary play around gambling portfolio, if you will, rather than my investment portfolio, Um I like the term gambling portfolio because in many cases that is what it is. Exactly. It's it's where you don't take a long-term view about the underlying prospects of the company and what is in the price. Uh, It's really for fun. So there I have, so, I mean, I don't know how much personal information you want here, but one of the things I have done quite a while ago is I bought a short, well, bought is the wrong way, but I went short the U.S. government bond market. I thought that um, 
that was a particularly expensive asset and that it would be rather nice to benefit from the price declines that were more likely than was being priced in the market. And so that is sort of a, call it a relatively recent speculative bet um, yeah, but that was in made in, in, in you know in anticipation of uh, a lower interest rate environment in the US. It hasn't receded yet. So are you do you still have that position? So no, it's actually it's the opposite. It is a it's on the long rates, and I entered the market at about two percent. So when long rates were about two percent, I went in on my short, and interest rates are now four percent. So. When interest rates go up, capital values decline. And so if you have a short, you benefit from capital value declines. So the question is, when is the right time to close out that position? Should you take your profits and call it a day, as any good speculator should do? Um, Or do you think that there is more risk that interest rates will continue to climb? um, And should you ride the position? Yeah, that is an interesting investment, Uh, but it's a very niche one as well. And to have a long-term strategy of unit trusts, which in many cases is a very safe type of investment approach, and also dabbling in derivatives and the shorting uh, of shares uh, and and instruments like you've done with the U.S. bonds, that's a very, very diverse strategy. Is it a significant part of your portfolio, this uh, gambling portfolio, as you've you've termed it? Uh, yes, it's not insignificant. I would say, well, it depends on what people call significant, but yes, my gambling portfolio, I'd say would run to about 10 to 15% of my portfolio, depending on how lucky or unlucky you get on the day. Is there crypto in the portfolio? No. No. So I, I have a firm view that if you're going to put money even into a speculation, you should you should have a very clear idea of what it is that you think the value drivers will be. And um, I can categorically say that I just do not know for cryptocurrencies what the future value drivers are. You know, as an economist, you get taught, I think quite correctly, that scarcity determines value. Um, But I just don't know that crypto assets one is scarce will get scarcer or has any inherent use or value or so it's very hard for me i can see that it went up a lot i can appreciate the arguments people for put forward for why it will go up more um i i just can't understand that market is greed not a value driver only in the short run um, and that, because, I mean, we call it the greater fool theory. So, yes, greed drives markets in the short run. But if you want to buy because you think somebody else will be greedier than you, you really have to hope that they're a bigger fool than you are. And that is a very risky proposition, I think, betting that you can always sell to a bigger fool than yourself. It's far better to bet on the real things What is it that this company does that is valuable to its customers? What does it do uniquely uniquely well? How is this management incentivized? Those things you can understand and you can know and you can, you know, you can own it. Um, Much harder to do that for other things, for things like crypto. Let's get to... 
the uh, questions most people wait for in in uh, in anticipation and that is your best and worst investments ever and let's start with the best one what do you regard as the best investment you have ever made and you can maybe frame your definition of uh, best investment i don't th- the the uh, uh, terms of reference is actually quite wide right okay well the single best investment i have made and here some credit would go to my parents was in my human capital uh, my parents made the effort to send me to, I think, reasonably good schools. They taught us curiosity and interest in the world. Um, my dad's a bit of a rebel, so he also taught us a healthy disrespect for some rules. Um, and I think sort of those foundations combined with an investment, I think, from an exceptionally good university with a very, very generous mentor um, has given me I think my most valuable asset, which is my ability to understand and reason about the world. I'm going to stop you there and let's frame it a bit more narrowly. Uh, What was the best financial investment you've (laughs) ever made? Yeah, I'm going to still answer my human capital because all my income prospects depend on my human capital. But I will will answer the question that you want. my best investment has been clicks. Okay. Um, and here, all credit to a colleague of mine when I was working at NetBank. Um, Kirsty was the analyst on the retailers, and she came to me one day and she said, Do you know, at 13 Rand a share, clicks is priced to gross earnings by inflation only into perpetuity. And I looked and I thought about that very hard, and I thought, Really, just inflation. That that's actually not a hard task for a company. All you need is when, when was this prices to go up. When did you make that investment? That would have been two thousand six or seven. Okay. Um. So I bought. I'll give you even my purchase price. I bought a thirteen rand a share. And how long um, did you hold it for? I still own it. Still own it. I've got a, a graph here in front of me, um, which is only a 10 year graph. So it's, uh, and the share price over the past 10 years have uh, almost quadrupled um, 361%. Right. And um, yeah, that has been a phenomenal investment. How long do you typically remain in a, in a position? Um, because surely there must be sometimes an itch to, to take the profits. So I almost never sell anything I buy, almost never. Um, I will sometimes sell to sort of make use of capital gains, tax allowances or whatever and sort of rebalance my portfolio a little bit. But this is why I say, you know, you give your money to the people who have a track record for delivering value. And this can be either other portfolio managers who have a philosophy and a process that you trust, or it can be management teams with um, a sort of a history of capital allocation and value added over the long run. Now, I will also tell you that I think clicks is expensive today. You know, a lot of stuff has to go right. It's not just a story where if earnings grow by inflation, you're going to earn really decent returns anymore. 
There's a lot more being priced into the click share price today than when I bought it. But I almost never sell a share. And then I'll also tell you that my absolutely worst investment. I just want to, before we get there, I just want to quickly provide a few facts. The PE ratio of clicks currently is 25 times. That makes it quite expensive. But uh, maybe just another interesting um, consequence of holding a share like clicks for a long period of time is your dividend yield. Uh, in the previous financial year, Clix's dividend was 6 rand 40 a share. Now, if you've paid around 13 rand uh, for the share and you get a dividend every year of 6 rand uh, 40, you will earn a dividend yield of over of just around uh, 50%. And that is quite, quite significant. And I don't think you will get that return in any other investment. Um, so you need to keep that in mind that the dividend yield should be worked out on the price you've paid for an equity and, and not the current one. Um, okay, the worst one. Which or what investment has been the biggest financial dog uh, in your portfolio? Yeah, so I can fortunately say it was very, very small in my life. Um, and it was also something I bought while I worked at Investec Securities. Um, and that was the time of the junior miner. Do you know if you remember the sort of time of junior miners having their day in the sun? So I, I'm not going to give you any names, but no, I will no, tell you. No, give us a I name. Own. Was it Randall? <laughs> so it went from worth something to worth nothing um, or very little. So I bought a little share um, called Wessiswe. I remember um, Wessiswe. Um, that's right. And why did you buy it at the time? Also on the recommendation of a colleague who thought that junior miners would become the future um, majors um, and that um, platinum really was a rare, precious metal. Um, and then, yeah, you learn that the cure for high prices is high prices and that um, commodities are very dangerous places to speculate. You can get really rich very quickly and then you can get really rich or not so rich very quickly as well. But we see um, we're still listed. First I made a lot of money and then I lost it all. But we see we're still listed. It's still listed. Oh, then it's still listed, but it's not worth very much. 78 cents. At, uh, can we push you at what level did you buy it? Oh, you're going you're gonna to have to tell me. What was the level in 2007? No, I can't see back uh, that long. In uh, 10 years ago, um, it was around... Uh, 80 cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the other problem mm. with hold, with never selling, right? Um, is that you foregone the interest you could have earned on the 80 cents or that you could have put it in and clicks it, you know, a decade ago. Now there's a huge but, opportunity cost. Mm. Exactly. There was a huge opportunity cost. Um, well, I mean, there is an opportunity cost that is huge if you have a lot of capital invested in it, which fortunately... I mean, like I, you know, when you start, I'll tell you this story as well. When I worked at Investec, I earned a seven and a half thousand rand a month paycheck. And um, my then boss agreed to send me to London for a week with international investors. I mean, my husband and I had been on holiday 
um, for three weeks in Denmark, Norway, and England for the three weeks prior to the week that we were going to be working in England. And so I'd gone to my boss beforehand and I said, my credit card limit is 9,000 Rand and you're expecting me to spend time in a hotel and travel around the UK speaking to fund managers. Professor was there as well. My credit card will not accommodate the spending. Yeah. So on the day we're supposed to um, log, knock, um, arrive at the hotel and um, register. So it was a, at the time, I can't remember exactly, but call it, I don't know, a hundred pounds or 200 pounds a night. And they'd given me travelers checks for it. Um, but then they had to take a hundred pounds every night deposit. They gave my husband and my, me one look and our sort of backpacks and jeans and tackies and said, no, a hundred pounds deposit for every night you stay. And so I handed over the envelope with travelers checks and then, and then this credit card and then that credit card and then this little bit of cash that we brought back from South Africa. And so we stone broke before we'd spent any money in the UK and the professor very generously lent me a hundred pounds to get me through the week. Um, so, you know, when you're earning seven and a half thousand rand, the amount of money that you can lose on overseas where it's not very significant. Um, just lastly, there are many uh, young professionals entering the, the job market, uh, mid-twenties. They would like to start investing uh, uh, probably in addition to contributions to retirement annuities and pension funds. Uh, they would like to get skin in the game and understand the investment world. What would your advice be for them? What should they do and what should they not do uh, to ob- obviously to, to um, achieve some success? So I think in everything in life that is important to you, you consult an expert. You don't self-diagnose when you are ill, um, you know, when you, yeah, most even professional athletes or even CEOs have coaches to help them through just making decisions, um, talk them through the decisions, the pros and the cons, etc. Uh, and I think that this is actually probably one of the more ex- more expensive lessons that people can avoid. Um, so one, I think it's really important to recognize that investing is actually a profession that requires some expertise and that it really is worth on the bulk of your savings trusting those experts to do it. And then to consider um, for yourself, if you want to be more involved, a smaller pot of money that you can call your speculative pot. Um, And don't see that as your core plan. See that as gaining skills and spending money on on gaining that skill set. And so really seeing the cash that you invest there as at risk relative to what you want to do with your actual savings. So then I think there are a number of really, really good um, newsletters that investors can read. So we always read Howard Marks's newsletter from Oak Tree. I think reading Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letters is a very good way to think about investing. Um, there are a number of um Truths that if you're investing in the long run is very important to understand 
And I think spending the time and energy to understand those truths is probably the most valuable thing that people can do if they really want to be investors as opposed to people who enjoy gambling um, in a different venue to the casino. Um, gambling, a gambling portfolio. Well, very, very interesting. And thank you, Madalette, for your insights or for sharing your insights today. I, I can definitely see you have a very diverse investment strategy um, and uh, it, it's well structured. So the long term hold for life type of uh, strategy stood many, many people in good stead. And uh, but yeah, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. That was Madalette Sessions. She is currently a portfolio manager at Denker Capital. Show me the money. That was the Money Web, the A Better Investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.